0: My ladies, gentles, in you come, and those who are neither, all or some, come hither all, such tales to hear of misrule, magic, flight, fear, of things that unleash pandemonium, and heroes to defend us from them. And for those who thusly need informing, in the show notes you'll find content warnings. So, so cautioned, audience, come with me, to the Pantaloon Society. Episode 3 The Hall of Forbidden Faces Walk with me, dear listener, out of the station of Dalston Junction onto Dalston Lane. We stroll past the glorious Hackney Peace Carnival mural, our eye glancing curiously on the single, skeletal face grinning in the centre of the riotous beauty. London buses pass us as we turn down Beatwood Road into the quieter back streets, where blank windows observe us as we walk. At last, we come to the bright red door in the high Victorian Gothic frontage of Holy Trinity Church, where a sign welcomes us to the Clown's Church. Here, each year, the Clown's International Service is held in honour of Joseph Grimaldi and all Clowns who have passed on into the great beyond. Here is also held the Clown Egg Register. What is the Clown Egg Register, you may ask, dear listeners? Those of you who have heard of it may of course switch off or perhaps skip ahead a little while I explain to the others. Why... It is a series of beautifully painted eggs, each recording the makeup and costume of an individual clown. Back in the 50s when the register first began, for the princely sum of one guinea, a gentleman named Stan would carefully record the face of the clown requesting, for posterity, on a blown hens egg and add it to the register, which functions as a sort of system of patents or copyright on the design of a clown's outfit. Since then, the collection has passed from location to location, losing, alas, some of the fragile and easily damaged faces, ...necessitating a change in the 70s to more robust ceramic eggs. Of late, the faces are painted by a set of lady clowns. The eggs are now so numerous that some are stored at Holy Trinity... ...and the rest at the Clown Museum in the delightful theme park of Wookiee Hall in Somerset. The places I have spoken of are full of faces to be celebrated, to be protected, to be immortalised. These are not the only faces that must be preserved, dear listener. There are other faces. Shameful faces. Faces of clowns who have disgraced their faces of clowns whose faces should never, ever be used again. These are the faces that are kept on the premises of the Pantaloon Society, in the Hall of Forbidden Faces. The cabinets on the walls in that room contain eggs depicting the blue triangular eyes of John Wayne Gacy, and the shaggy blue wig and white eyebrows of Armand Paul Carlock Jr. At the back of that hall there is a cabinet constructed of Rowan Wood. Its glass covered over with black paper painted with arcane sigils whose meaning can only be found in dusty books in the library, and locked with a silver key. Within that cabinet, are faces painted on ceramic eggs, whose clay was mixed with holy water. Faces so dangerous that not only should they never be used again, but only those who are properly protected should risk even looking upon them. Dear audience, let us leave these dark halls and fly instead to the bright and sunny vistas of the south coast of England. It is a fine morning in late May when we land in the county of Dorset, famous for its Jurassic fossils and pleasant beaches so beloved of holidaymakers. Unusually for a May bank holiday weekend in the UK, for so it is, the weather is sunny, gloriously so in fact, and the beach of this particular seaside town is stuffed full of people enjoying the sun and surf. Brightly coloured beach towers array the shoreline, surfboards bob on the waves, and the remains of a sadly fallen ice cream happens to be smeared mintily across a nearby pavement. I'm late, I'm late, I'm late, oh no. Where it causes our hero, Jen, to briefly skid before they catch themselves and hurry onwards to the beach. They crunch onto the shingle, blinking in the bright light, and hurry on their short legs to where an awning is stood, tethered down with large flinty rocks, with a sign fluttering upon it proclaiming, Holiday Fun. Beneath the awning is stood a series of tables. Inflatable objects, hoops, toys, juggling balls, and other items associated with fun. Deploying them about the area was a young woman dressed in brightly coloured tie dyed vest and voluminous orange trousers. She looked up and saw Jen, similarly arrayed, minus the doctor's coat we saw them in most recently, and waved happily. Her voice carried over on the offshore breeze Jen! Stacy! Sorry I'm late! Jen waved back. They were slightly regretting not adding more powder to their makeup. The unusually bright bank holiday sun was already starting to warm up the air and make them sweat gently beneath their sparkly purple and yellow wig. They would probably need to go somewhere to touch up the grease paint around their hairline and neck before the morning's activity was over. They arrived at the awning and placed their battered suitcase onto the table. Sorry. You're cutting it a bit fine. It's ten to ten already. The kids will be here soon. I have not been sleeping great and I overslept again. Are you okay? I'll be alright once I've had a decent amount of time outside London. Sea breeze in my hair. In my wig. <laughs> Plenty of that out here. I've already had to weigh some of the inflatables down with pebbles. Do you want to talk about it? Nah. Okay, well, I've put all the stuff out now, so we've got a bit. Can I show you my sketches? For my face? Ooh, yeah, please. Stacy happily produced a thick hardback sketchbook, covered in stickers, from a bag, covered in patches and badges that she'd stashed under one of the tables. She flicked through the latest drawings, and opened the book on the table. On the pages were a series of sketches of clan makeup, a scattering of reds and blues and greens, wide smiles and accentuated eyes. Other pages held costume designs, collections of geometric shapes, and rainbow fabrics. Well, wow, these are great! I love the one with the purple swirls. You like purple, don't you? Is it that obvious? <laughs> yes, yes it is. What do you think about this one? I like it, it's got a special feel about it. Jen looked at the image Stacy had tapped with her finger. Dark red lips split the white face. Arching green eyebrows gave it an expression of verdant surprise under a green wig with a little red hat on top. Small splashes of red dotted the cheeks. There was nothing wrong with the colour combination. Nothing wrong with the design. But somehow the face unnerved them. They couldn't place their finger on exactly what was wrong with it. Something about the grin, perhaps. The way the light caught it. Hey, it's something special, right? Though they bring delight and joy to the lives of others, behind the jolly makeup, the life of a clown can be fraught and difficult. Today's clowns may wear themselves out maintaining their jolly demeanour, but the clowns of the past all too often pushed their bodies utterly to the limit. Joseph Grimaldi's career was cut short by the damage years of falls, tumbles and beatings had done to his body. By the time of his death, he was almost entirely crippled and in extreme poverty, exacerbated by the alcoholism both he and his son suffered. Whilst entertainers may seek the laughter of an audience, there are few who enjoy being a figure of derision away from the stage. The much-beloved Pierrot of 1830s Paris, Jean-Gaspard de Boulot, was walking in the street with his family when a street boy began to mock him. In anger, he struck him with his heavy cane and killed the boy outright. In the court where he was ultimately acquitted of murder, crowds of the public attempted to push their way in so they could hear the voice of the famed actor. To be watched, to have to perform jollity when one feels nothing of the sort, takes a heavy toll upon the performer. With this in mind, perhaps you will look a little more gently in the protagonist of the tale i tell you next. Let us move time forwards to 1848, at the height of circus popularity in the mid-19th century. A few decades after Deborah struck his fatal blow, Pablo Fanque's fair returned to his hometown of Norwich. A talented horseman and showman, and the first non-white circus proprietor to tour Britain, Pablo Fanque had returned after achieving great popularity in Lancashire and Yorkshire. He had started with a couple of horses and a few performers, but now his circus royal had grown into quite the spectacle and set up for the winter season in the pleasure gardens beside a bend in the River Wensum, not far from where Norwich Station stands today. Among Thankist performers was one Mr Gianni Antonioni. This was not his real name. His real name was John Wilson, and he had run away from his hometown of Preston many years before to become a circus clown. There he had met his wife, whom he loved very much. Anne Wilson, or Anna Antonioni, the high-flying angel. Oh, how she would swoop high in the air above the ring, a pair of white wings attached to her back, while he entertained the crowds below with his antics. They were quite a pair. Today is a sad day for John there. His wife has left him for the knife thrower, citing his unreasonable behaviour when drunk. This assessment is not remotely unfair. Each night he pretends to be jolly, and makes the public laugh with his antics. Each night, a little more alcohol is needed to overcome his aches and pains, and suppress his various grudges and bitternesses. Saved up over years of being a proud and angry man. He is weeping onto the fur of his beloved dog, Achilles. A great shaggy mongrel beast, something like a St. Bernard? Something like a husky. Whose fur is worn thin in patches, where the specially made hoplite armour he wears each evening has rubbed it. Achilles loves his master deeply, and his master loves him. And this evening, the dog is all he has to cling to. The tears of betrayal have made streaks down his clan's face. White and green droplets fall onto Achilles' back as the dog whines, distressed at his master's sadness. Eventually, John wipes his eyes on a handkerchief, pats Achilles, and steals himself for what he intends to do. He goes to the shelf in his caravan, where he keeps the strong medicines the chemist gives him for his aches and pains. Meanwhile, back in the present, Jen and Stacy have finished their performance for the day. A variety of children and the occasional parent have been inducted into the basics of juggling, or gone away exhausted from chasing errant inflatables making a break for the waves. Jen has indeed had to touch up their makeup several times, and is really wishing they had brought their setting pad with them. Huh, <sighs> I'm absolutely wrecked. Hey, you running around and shingle pure scanners, you. Yeah? You what? Nothing. Did we ever get that inflatable giraffe back? The one that blew away? Yeah, I think one of the dads brought it back, didn't he? Hope so. You we'll get in trouble if anything's missing. There's an inventory. Found it. It's over here behind the awning. <laughs> it's close to a stupid expression. Good job. What are you grinning about, giraffe laddie? It's your problem. Just living my rubbery giraffe life. Just came here to have a good time on the beach with my other rubber friends. In that right, Rubber Flamingo. That's right, giraffe. We're going to have a good time in the sun. Maybe get an ice cream later. I'm glad you're feeling better. I just a uh, lot on my mind, you know. want to talk about it. I suppose, but it's a wee bit hard to explain. I got this sort of uh, job offer. Supposed to be good pay, but that's because it's risky. And it's a weird place. I'm not sure if I should take it. I do need the money though, and it seems very cool. Like, unique. I'm sorry, I can't seem what it's like. A uh, script project. How risky? Like, skydiving risky? Don't know for sure. Well, like, lone working in a dodgy area? Risky. I'm sure they do everything they can to keep you safe. And it's cool. Very cool. Don't know if everyone who works there's cool. But the job looks cool. I'd be using a skill I've never been able to use before as well. I'm hoping they can teach me to get better at it. You should do it. You can always quit if you don't like it. Oh, the safety stuff isn't good enough, right? Aye, I suppose. Do it then. What's worrying you about it? I don't know. I think I was just a bit overwhelmed by the whole thing. Okay, so you've had a bit of time to think. Maybe you go back to them and ask for more, like, information about what the job is. And if you start getting red flags or a bad feeling, then you can say no or quit. I worked for this really creepy agent for a while, like really skeevy, and after about the third job he started trying it on with me, saying he'd get me a better job as if I did, them um, what he wanted. I wish I'd listened to the bad feeling I got off him and never worked for him in the first place. If that's what you're feeling, then I wouldn't. I don't think it's that. Alright, yeah, I will. Let's get some lunch, and you can help me try out the makeup for this afternoon, and we can both be clowns. Which one have you picked? The green and red one. Ooh. When he heard that the Antonioni, slash Wilsons, had separated, Pablo himself came to speak to the clown. Like any circus proprietor, he was aware of the various foibles of his performers, and used to mediating their disputes. He found Mr Wilson curiously resolute, Then The man was not even drunk, not any more, although there was the evidence of drinking the previous night, at least one empty bottle on the table. Pablo expressed his sympathies regarding the whole situation, and the openness of his door at any time, should Mr Wilson need to talk. Wilson thanked him kindly for the visit, and said he might go out for a walk later to clear his head, and get some perspective on the situation. Surprised, but somewhat relieved, Pablo left Wilson's caravan to tend to his horses. Wilson himself did not leave until much later, and this was only known because one of the stable boys saw him slip out close to midnight. A white shape across the field, wobbling on his feet. The next morning, the bodies of Anne Wilson and the knife thrower were found stone dead in the knife thrower's bed. On the table were the mostly eaten remnants of a lurid green cake, accompanied by a note to Anne's signed from an admirer. Mr. Wilson was not found until weeks later. When his bloated corpse washed up on the banks of the Yare, halfway to Great Yarmouth, he was still wearing the tattered remnants of his white plan suit, and the streaked residue of his green and red makeup could just about be discerned on his face. <phone rings> Jen and Stacy obtained an entirely unhealthy lunch on the seafront and brought it back to their flappy awning workplace on the shingle. Jen ate carefully to avoid smearing her makeup, drinking a smoothie through a straw to preserve the purple paint. Once they were done, Stacy once again produced a sketchbook. Jen held up the mirror for her while she carefully painted her face with the arching green eyebrows and wide-crimson lips. As the face began to form across Stacy's features, a creeping sense of unease took root in Jen's heart and spread across their being. That looks okay, right? I think so. I'll get a wig later. You can stop holding up the mirror, thanks. Neighbor- Ooh! What? Nothing. I just saw something weird in the mirror. For a brief second as they lowered the mirror, Jen had caught a glimpse of a face like Stacy's, but heavier and thicker, brow furrowed with anger. Still thinking about the job? Yeah, maybe. Ooh, we're done just in time. Here's the first kids. Now they were two clowns, neatly matched. Stacy did a happy little twirl in her new makeup. Jen stayed quiet, unable to shake her unease. She tried to throw herself wholeheartedly into leading the activities and eventually became distracted chasing small children with inflatables. At the midpoint of the fun, Stacey and Jen were wont to do a spot of rough and tumble. Jolly play, fighting on the mats laid out on the shingle beneath the awning. Jen would sneak up behind Stacey and bonk her over the head with Mr. Rubber Giraffe, perhaps, or Stacey would upend a bucket of balls all over Jen's head. Today, Jen had decided they would take one of the oversized inflatable hammers and lightly bonk Stacey over the head a bit before playfully running away. They snuck up theatrically behind her, finger on lips. Shall I? Several children nodded. Several parents sighed. Bonk! You little bleeder! I'll kill you! Stacy's face was twisted with fury as she rounded on Jen, who shrank back and away from her, dropping the inflatable as they staggered off the mats onto the shingle, worried that Stacy might actually attack them. One of the parents muttered about this show maybe being a bit much for the kids. As quickly as it had appeared, the expression left Stacy's face, and she giggled nervously. Sorry, <laughs> I don't know what came over me. Perhaps Stacy did not, but Jen was definitely starting to suspect she did know what had come over Stacy. Nothing further of concern happened the rest of that afternoon, though Jen was constantly on edge, expecting it to. At the end of the day, they packed up the inflatables and in the awning, ready for them to be collected. Jen pointedly took off their makeup, offering cleaning wipes to Stacy, who seemed reluctant to take hers off. Seemingly, she had quite forgotten her outburst earlier, although Jen very much had not. They parted ways and Jen headed home to the room she was renting in the holiday home of a couple who lived elsewhere. But when she got back, she found she could not settle. Her anxiety about Stacy would not go away. Jen knew where Stacy lived. She had invited them for dinner at her place earlier in the week, which had been rather a chaotic affair, as it transpired Stacy did not know how to cook. They determined to go over there, and said that she was all right. Before they left, they removed a bottle of makeup remover from their clown suitcase and placed it in their pocket where they could reach it easily. Outside the old terraced house where Stacy lived on the third floor in a small flat, Jen hesitated. Was she being silly? There must surely be a sensible explanation for Stacy's behavior. Fatigue? The heat, maybe? Still, there was nothing wrong with checking in on a friend who you thought might be unwell. She pressed the buzzer. Stacy? Uh, it's Jen. Can you move and see if you're okay? Oh you came all this way, that's really sweet. I'm okay. Um come up and have a cup of tea before you go. When Jen reached the top of the stairs the door was open. As they approached, Jen could see Stacy in the kitchen across the flat, facing away from them. Come in just boiling the kettle. As Jen stepped into the flat, she noticed three things. Firstly, there was a partially drunk bottle of vodka on the table. Not unusual. Secondly, there was makeup on the table, next to Stacy's sketchbook. This was more concerning. Thirdly, when Stacy turned around, Jen saw her face was made up like a clown again. They put a hand into their pocket to making sure the remover bottle was still in there. Oh, you've been there uh, trying out the makeup again. Yeah. Stacy, I'm worried there's something wrong with the makeup. What do you mean? I like it. I've just got a bad feeling about it. <laughs> Don't be silly. It's just makeup. It was then Jen noticed a fourth thing—the knife that Stacy had been holding in her left hand. They noticed it just in time as Stacy lunged towards them. Now Jen, as well as being an adept juggler, was a reasonable acrobat and tumbler. So when Stacy flew towards them with murderous intent, Jen dodged out of the way, dived behind Stacy's sofa, and rolled back to their feet. Stacy immediately turned on them again. Luckily, Jen had had time to pull the makeup remover from their pocket, and they sprayed it directly into Stacy's cloud face. Stacey shrieked and rubbed at her eyes, spearing the makeup. Whilst she was doing so, Jen leapt the sofa and kicked the knife away, then quickly rubbed the sketchbook off the table and tore out the picture of the makeup design. Then they pushed past Stacey and ran out of the flat, clutching the page in their hand. Is that Dr. H? Dr. H? Oh, Jen, hello. Hi, um, I got your number from the ward clerk at the children's hospital. I see. Is this about... Aye, but also something else. You seem like the best person to ask. Carry on. Are there cursed clown faces? The designs, I mean. Bad ones that make people go all murdery. There are, aren't there? Yes, there are. And worse than that. When we discover them, we have them painted on ceramic eggs and locked away in the Hall of Forbidden Faces. You will have passed by it on your visit to the Society. Then, whenever someone tries to register a new face, we check it against the ones in the hall and warn the registry if the face is dangerous. They tell the clown the face has already been used. I've got one for the hall, then. I'll bring it to you. It's only a bit of paper. Thank you. Does this mean you've decided to join us, then? Remind me about the pay. It's very generous. A lot. Even for London. And the risk? Also very generous, I'm afraid. You won't be working alone, though. Are you alright? When do I start? As soon as possible. We cannot blame anyone still living for this unpleasant occurrence. Mr Wilson committed his crime long before the days of the Clown Egg Register, so his makeup was never recorded. If it had been, perhaps what happened next might have been avoided. Or not. Who can say? In case you were concerned about poor Stacy, dear audience, she is fine. In fact, here she is, walking down the streets of the seaside town. She has quite forgotten about her little ordeal, and she has decided against clown makeup for the time being, thank goodness. Free of the heavy burden of knowledge, she opens the door to her building and steps inside. Across the street from her, an indistinct figure glances at something in its hand, and up at her. Then it shakes its head, shrugs, and walks away. Pantaloon Society is a Cytogram here production by Lou Sutcliffe, A.M. Pronouns, distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license. This episode uses sounds from Freesound.org. For full accreditation, content warnings and transcripts, please see the show notes. To be kept up to date on the show, please do follow on Twitter at Pantaloons. Farewell, dear audience, and thank you for listening.